0: A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that you will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Amen.
1: I knew that uh, taking photographs when I was on holiday would one day be useful. And so I have a photograph today um, that I didn't have to get from Google. It's one of mine. I have to say, in the time that we were in this place, we never got one full picture of this bridge because of the fog. However, During the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, the work fell badly behind because workers were falling off and dying because it's quite high. And people were really frightened. And so things were uh, falling further and further and further behind. And, and the engineers and the administrators couldn't work out what they were going to do and how they could solve this problem until somebody came up with the idea of putting a net underneath the bridge. I thought, wow, the cost of that. well, really the cost of the delays. Oh, so, and eventually they put a huge net under the bridge as it was being built. And after uh, the net it was installed. There were hardly any interruptions to the work. I mean, people still fell off, but they fell into the net, and they were safe. And in fact, what happened it was that all the time that had been lost to fear was clawed back because people were no longer afraid, because they had a net. They had a safety net. The fear was replaced by faith in the net. In Jonah, what is written large over this book is God's great grace and patience, his amazing mercy and kindness, and how little human beings deserve it. Richard Baxter, the um, theologian in the 1600s, he wrote this, what an astonishing thought it will be to think of the immeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings. The immeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings. We should probably do a whole sermon on that. What we deserve from God and what we receive from God. We're not above Jonah. We're not better than Jonah. Sometimes if you ask people who their favorite Bible character is and who they associate with, people quite often say, Peter. Because, I mean, he always got it wrong. I mean, we know that. You know, easy to identify with, but I think there's something of Jonah in us. But like Jonah, we can experience the depth of the love and the mercy and grace of God. The reading started uh, with these words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Many of you will be familiar with the name Thomas Edison. And the fact that he uh, created a a really strange contraption, which we hardly use anymore, the light bulb. But did you know that when they were first making them, it took a whole team of uh, men, because it was only men in those days, 24 straight hours to create a light bulb. And the story goes that at one point, when uh, a bulb was finished, he gave it to a young boy, Who was helping them But the young boy was really nervous And as he carried it up the stairs He dropped it And it smashed As it bounced down the stairs And so It took the team Another 24 hours To make another bulb And exhausted And ready for a break Thomas Edison took this new bulb and gave it to the young boy to take and put away. In the case of Jonah, we're not looking at a, a nervous and therefore slightly clumsy boy, but a deliberately disobedient self-seeking prophet. And we see God deal with him in, in a way that is totally opposite to what he deserved. And God deals with us in the, the same way that He dealt with Jonah. He doesn't write us off when we mess up. He doesn't write us off when we blot our copybook. He could do, and, and we couldn't really argue because we know when we we know when we get it wrong. We know when we do those things that that we 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 shouldn't do. But God is gracious. That's His character. RT Kendall. It says this, God is not obligated to anyone. And insofar as Jonah is concerned, God didn't even have to send wind. But he did. He didn't have to prepare a fish. But he did. He didn't have to eject Jonah from the fish. But he did. And he certainly didn't have to come to Jonah a second time. But he did. God in his unfailing love comes to you and me not just a second time or a third time, but the three millionth time. And every time he's willing to take us back and to give us another chance. His love is unfailing and he secures our heart by his grace. And the the message to Jonah was was the same. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I gave you. And this time, Jonah went to Nineveh. But do you remember why he was reluctant to go in the first place? He was frightened. He was anxious about it. This lone Jewish man going into the heart of this empire that, that were known to be cruel and merciless. This enemy into the the capital city of Assyria. He was also prejudiced. For him, these were people without God and and, and their lives were not appropriate or suitable. He was slightly disgusted by them. They were proud, they were violent, they were cruel and they worshipped false idols. They were ignorant of God. And at the same time as he was told to go in that direction, the prophet Amos was telling the, the, the Jewish people The Assyrians are coming. I wonder if, in his heart, Jonah had a secret suspicion that God actually intended to show some good to Nineveh by sending him with that message. But surely for him it would have been better for God simply to destroy them and and stop the evil that was coming his people what do we learn from that well one of the things that we learn is that doing god's will doesn't mean that life will be easy and those who would suggest that and if you watch god's tv you will find those who suggest that if you if you give your life to god everything will be plain sailing that is utter nonsense there are no guarantees of any kind So it doesn't mean that life will be plain sailing. And it certainly wasn't for Jonah after this. William Carey, uh, who was a missionary to India, experienced lots of difficulties uh, in his life. But one of the biggest uh, issues that he had to deal with came on the 11th of March, 1812 he was translating the Bible into local languages and he had a team of people who were helping him and, and he was supported by people in uh, the, the UK. But on the 11th of March, 1812, there was a fire that destroyed the Serampore press, including years of work in translation. He was in what was then known as uh, Kolkata at the time, and it was the following evening before he got back, and as he stood there, eyes brimming with tears, he said, in one short evening, the labor of years are consumed. How unsearchable are the ways of God. The Lord has laid me low that I may look more simply to him. That wouldn't have been my response. (laughs) But what a response. No self-pity. Kerry and his helpers started again. And actually what happened was as a result of the work they had done and the time they had been doing it, the translations were better after the fire. And in England, particularly, his supporters had to be asked to stop sending money. I mean, imagine that. Do you know, we, we look for money for stuff all the time. And they, they've got to stop. Stop! sending Because the response. So, so, so from that fire, from that difficult circumstance, came refinement and character and came refinement and service. Being in God's will, doing uh, what God has called us to do, should help us uh, to to see other people through God's eyes, not through our fear or our prejudice. We'll see beyond uh, their attitude, beyond their behavior, beyond their uh, lifestyle, their sin, uh, and see people who are without God and in need of mercy who need to experience his love and his grace. And they do that through us. We need to learn to love as God loves, to see as God sees. So Jonah went on to proclaim the message that he was given. And on the face of it, I mean, let's be honest, it's a stinker. None of us, none of us would want to go and give this message. Forty days from now, none of it will be destroyed. Woo-hoo! Thanks for that. Do you know? I mean, it's. And yet, I suspect that's a summary of what he actually was saying. But it was a very real warning. And it was a wake-up call to them: a call to repent, a call to start afresh. And God was gracious to give it because it's a kindness to warn other people that there's danger coming. The good news of Jesus starts, I think, maybe with bad news so that we appreciate the good news more. You see, it starts with we are all sinners and we don't meet the standard that God has set. Therefore, we're in trouble. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. On the 21st of September, 1938, a huge hurricane hit the east coast of the United States. And the first part of the storm, the first waves of the storm were so powerful that the impact of them registered on a seismograph in Alaska, on the other side and further north. So it must have been just incredible. But what was strange was that no meteorologist told anybody it was coming. There was no warning to people. Unlike now when we've got amber warnings and warnings for this and that. Oh, there's going to be some rain today and there might be some leaves and all that kind of stuff. We've got warnings for everything. Nothing. Either they they just ignored the instruments or they simply didn't believe that it was possible. But there's a a man um, who lived on Long Island. And and a few days before, he had uh, bought a barometer from uh, a store in New York. And it arrived on the morning of the storm. And he opened it. And to his immense annoyance, the needle was pointing below 29, to where the dial read, Hurricanes and Tornadoes. And he tapped it. And he shook it and he banged it against the wall and it never moved. So he was, this is broken. They've sent me a broken one. And he was so incensed that he packed it back up and he took it to the post office to send back. And while he was gone, his house was destroyed. It simply didn't occur to him that the barometer might have been right. The Bible tells us that one day every human being that has ever lived or will ever live will stand before God and give account of our relationship with him. And he is merciful, so he gives us warning of that time. We have, if you like, the perfect barometer, the Bible, his word, that tells us what the problem is, but also tells us what to do about it. It's a lesson for us, I think, to see that though Jonah's message, humanly speaking, should have been a total turn-off for for these people in Nineveh, it was the truth, and so he was duty-bound to proclaim it. And so we, too, must proclaim the whole message of the Bible. But we do it with love and compassion. If you are not a believer today, if you don't believe that forecast, that judgment is coming, are you going to blame the barometer? Are you going to ignore God's warning and throw it away? Because God's word to you, as it is to all of us, is a call to repent before the storm comes. So how did they respond to Jonah's message? Well, you might have imagined with incredulity uh, or laughter, would they have made fun uh, of the message or of him? Or maybe they were just to ignore it. Perhaps they turn nasty and persecute the messenger. And we, we see examples of all of that uh, in our day. But we're told that the very first day when Jonah entered the city and began to preach, the people repented. Jonah shouted to the crowds that gathered around him, Forty days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Why? Why was there that reaction? Because something in them recognized Jonah's message was from God. How did they come to that? Well, God's word from Jonah must have been accompanied by power from God. Where God's word is preached and the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. For God's word to be effective in our lives, we need God's power to be at work. That was the experience of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He saw lots of times that people just totally uh, rejected what he had to say. I mean, he was, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was imprisoned. Uh, you know, he, he had all of that and he, he understood that not everybody was going to uh, accept this message and um, politely even, let alone to believe it. But he also saw that word change lives and saw lives being totally and utterly transformed by God. How do they account for it? Well, writing to uh, the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1 5, he says this Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. That's Jonah's story. E.W. Tozer, the theologian uh, and academic, said that the gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. We need to remember that, you know, we're not relying on finely spoken words or bang-up-to-date media resources or personal charisma. It's nothing to do with good business technique that bring people to God. The Holy Spirit works in lives. Yes, we must let them know the good news. Yes, we must share practically God's love. But ultimately, God saves, not us. Ultimately, God knows who He's calling, not us. We just need to be faithful and do what we are called to do. So, what may have uh, seemed to be a, a, a really negative message carried the seed of hope in it. And the king recognized it. Can you imagine? I'm sitting there thinking. Why on earth has this weird Jewish guy turned up? <laughs> you know, what, what? He's come with a strange word. What is that about? And yet, something in that caused them to see. Maybe we need to respond, and maybe from me down, we should respond in faith and believe this word. The king didn't play around with the message. He took it seriously and he acted on it. And as soon as God saw that the Ninevites received the message and they were genuine about changing, he had compassion and he relented. At least for 150 years. Because eventually his justice did come. And they were defeated and destroyed. But at this point, their willingness to believe, their willingness to repent, saved them. And we can say it's just like God's to do that. Because in Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And if you read on in the story, and you see that Jonah says that in the next chapter. He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. God had mercy on the people. He showed kindness because it's who He is. He is never reluctant to forgive. He never has second thoughts about lavishing life and peace and joy on people who need to receive that. So what does it say to us? Well, it says, if we fall, if we sin against God, there is grace for us to be restored. There is mercy to bring us back and to keep us. Remember that net that was strung out under the Golden Gate Bridge that removed fear and replaced it with faith? Well, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And another version puts it this way, Underneath you are the arms of the eternal one. We have a safety net, a spiritual safety net in God. How do we know that the Ninevites truly repented and took God's command to heart? Well, verse 10 says God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. True repentance involves turning away from sin. Remorse is being sorry. Repentance is being sorry enough to stop. To truly repent includes an about turn in our lives. No longer heading off away from God but turning towards God, looking for him and his plans and purposes. And from faith, repentance is born. And where do we see God's mercy in its highest and greatest expression in the history of the world? In his giving Jesus, his only son, to the cross at Calvary. God's unbending justice and amazing mercy meet at the cross, justice rightly demanded an answer, a solution for the problem of sin. And mercy called for compassion and forgiveness. And they meet at the cross. God satisfied both demands in the person of His Son Jesus. He bore the spiritual agony that we deserved so that we can be delivered and set free. The Ninevites several thousand years ago didn't have the good news in that way. Jesus hadn't been born. They didn't know anything about him. And yet they responded to what they heard and what they knew. What will we do with the light that we have of God's mercy? and the judgment to come. Amen.